0: braves have given you a
1: championship listen to this crowd braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond
0: here's grant mccauley Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and a very happy new year to you and a very happy new decade as well. We've got baseball right around the corner, so lots to talk about as we open up a new year and a new season that will be happening before too long as we get rolling towards spring training and of course opening day, which I think we can officially start talking about once that calendar turns to a new year, which is exactly what we just did. We've got lots to talk about on this episode of From the Diamond. I'll be joined, as always, by Bill Rowland, and we'll go through the biggest stories happening across Major League Baseball. And, of course, before we do that, we'll have our Braves discussion, as always, and talk about the moves Atlanta could be making before pitchers and catchers report to Northport, Florida, to open up that shiny new spring training facility in full in just a few weeks. As always, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated. And be sure you're following along on social media, on Twitter. Find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore. And you can find me at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. Over on Instagram, the show is at FromTheDiamond with no underscore. And I am still at Grant McCauley there as well. And be sure to check out FromTheDiamond.com. That's where you can find everything. And I'll start my Braves positional preview series next week. I'm planning to have a new article out each week leading up to spring training covering a different part of the Braves roster. Catchers, infielders, outfielders, starting pitchers, and bullpen. And that will culminate on February the 12th as Braves pitchers and catchers report to spring training. And since we are in that new year, we can officially start that countdown as well. Today is January the 4th, so we have just 40 days until the first wave of Braves report down to spring training in Northport, Florida. As far as the important dates for spring training to keep in mind, I posted these over on Twitter. If you need a reminder or want to lock them in your calendar, perhaps on Wednesday, February the 12th, pitchers and catchers report February the 13th is the first workout. Then on Monday, February 17th, position players will report to spring training. On Tuesday, the 18th, we'll have a full squad workout. And on the 22nd of February, that's the Grapefruit League opener that Saturday afternoon against the Baltimore Orioles. So it's right around the corner, right about six weeks until pitchers and catchers report, and just over seven weeks until the Braves are playing exhibition baseball down in Florida. As for what's going on with the Braves, as we open up 2020, Josh Donaldson watch continues, and that's something we'll talk about on this episode of From the Diamond when we jump into the starting nine. And Bill Rowland joins me in just a little bit. But there were some reports this week that the Braves are one of at least three clubs willing to give Donaldson a four-year deal. And as we've talked about a lot on this show and, of course, a lot on social media as well, I think this was always going to be the main hurdle for Atlanta's pursuit of Donaldson, what other clubs would be willing to go to in years, which would obviously impact the total amount of the deal and if the Braves would be willing to guarantee a fourth year. Well, it looks like we have our answer to that. And for Donaldson, who just turned 34 years old, You have to look at it from his perspective, I think, in order to understand maybe where these negotiations are with him as he talks to the different clubs that are interested in bringing him on for multiple years. This is his last big contract opportunity. I know some folks were wondering and asking on Twitter, if Josh Donaldson wants to stay in Atlanta and the Braves have offered him a fourth year, well, then why hasn't he signed yet? Is that bad for the Braves? I don't necessarily think so. And I think that we know that not all free agent deals are created equally And Donaldson owes it to himself to weigh all of his options and see what a potential bidding war could add to the contract that he chooses. It's the right business move for him, and that's why Donaldson has to consider everything before making a decision, even if he ends up leaving some money on the table by picking the one deal he wants over some of the others. There was also some talk this week again about the trade availability of Rockies third baseman Nolan Arenado. John Morosi of MLB Network called it a 50-50 chance that Arenado could end up being traded this winter. Now, it could just be me, but isn't everything in life a 50-50 chance? Ultimately, if you really break it down, it either will happen or it won't. It's one or the other. So if anything, I think it tells us perhaps that the Rockies are willing to listen and very serious about the possibility of dealing their star third baseman. The full no-trade clause and opt-out after 2021, those are both serious hurdles that give Arenado the power to control if he goes and where he goes. If Colorado is serious about trading him outside of the division and won't listen to offers in the NL West, I think they're selling themselves short of a potential prospect windfall from the Dodgers, a team that has the farm system and the financial wherewithal to get this trade done. If the Rockies are serious about maximizing their return, I don't see how you can eliminate the Dodgers from a potential Nolan Arenado trade. So we'll continue to monitor this and see what comes up. Well, let's turn our focus to what's going on across Major League Baseball and welcome in Bill Rowland as we jump into our starting nine for the first time in the year 2020. Bill, a very happy new year to you and excited about talking baseball as we've got it right around the corner here. Pitchers and catchers, spring training, and, of course, opening day, all getting closer by the day.
1: Yeah, happy new year to you and, of course, everyone listening. And, yeah, it's amazing to think we're less than six weeks away from, from guys starting to pack up and head to Florida. It goes so fast it's, it's hard to believe that it's already been a couple months since the end of the world series but here we are 2020 is here time to get started for a new season
0: absolutely let's get started with our topics for this week and we'll head up to canada for our leadoff topic where Hunjin ryu came off the board over the holidays signing a four-year 80 million dollar deal with the blue jays toronto also added a veteran japanese starter in shun yamaguchi on a two-year pact The Jays, of course, we know, Bill, already have a young core with some of the most exciting players in baseball as far as prospects looking to become potential superstars and some second-generation talent as well. But do you think that the Blue Jays have enough to reach October in 2020? Well, Calvin Biggio is 24. Bo
1: Bichette is 21. Vlad Jr. is 20. He's good. That's pretty scary in that infield as far as the young talent goes. They've got some decent pop in their outfield as well. The problem for me... For them as they play in the AL East. Yeah. So I'm still not sure they've got enough pitching, even with the addition of of Ryu, as you mentioned, Tanner Roark is penciled in as their number two right now. Matt Shoemaker, who we know had that horrific injury with Mm -hmm. the angels when he got hit with the line drive, and then it's coming off an ACL tear. He's listed in as their number four. Look, they're going to score a ton of runs. They're probably going to score a lot of runs, but can they prevent runs? They've redone now 80% of their starting rotation. They're going to be better than 67 and 95, which is what they were in 2019. But you're talking about to, to contend in the division, probably a 25 game swing. That's a big ask. If you're in the AL East, if I'm doing a future bet for 2021 and beyond Toronto is at the top of my list for that. But in 2020, not quite yet to me their goal should be 500 this year
0: yeah and i know that's not something that fans love to hear is oh well we want to try to get to 500 but when you do look at clubs that have gone from being in the playoffs not too long ago like the blue jays were to having to tear it down whether they wanted to at first or not and you know change out some pieces other guys age out folks leave by a free agency you trade away a star like josh donaldson who won an mvp up there they had to go into that rebuild In doing so, they did build a great farm system, which you mentioned the Bigios and the Guerreros and the Bichettes, names that we haven't really been talking about a ton since, you know, maybe the early 2000s at best. But either way, these guys are serious talents. But you mentioned the record, 67-95. and You know, not great to be 28 games under 500, but 36 games behind the New York Yankees who, oh, by the way, already got better. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be a tough club. And I can't imagine that the Red Sox are going to be content – with winning 84 games a year for the foreseeable future they might have that step back here or there maybe in 2020 it's a similar year depending on what happens with Mookie Betts but the fate of all these other clubs to make a long story short is going to tell you where exactly the Blue Jays are in that pecking order and of course the American League East always has an impact on the American League wild card race so Bill I think that 2020 500 would be a pretty good goal maybe even an ambitious goal if you're the Toronto Blue Jays
1: Yeah, no question. Again, I think it depends on how these young guys come along. Uh, Bichette played, what, less than 40 games, Mm -hmm. I think, last year. But he did hit 300 in those 40 games, so so maybe he's for real. I know uh, Biggio struggled at the plate at times, but again, he's 24 and he's got the bloodlines. I trust that over the next three or four years, these guys may be talked about as MVP candidates uh, at some point, if not all of them, at least one or two of them, so I think the talent is there, at least in the infield. To me, I still worry about that, that starting rotation, even with the additions that they made. Uh, Ryu's going to help, but he's one guy. And again, they had to redo their pretty much their entire rotation because it wasn't that good last year.
0: Yeah, if they start to get that pitching, I think they could be a dangerous club. But uh, you mentioned Bichette. He did hit well over three he He's got some power biggio is a guy that i like a lot Kevin biggio because he has on base skills as well he he does strike out some but he also knows how to draw his walks he can run he's got the power and i think he's just going to be a nice player for them to build on but I, i feel like the blue jays are probably another splash move or two away from rejoining the elite of the american league east where they were not too long ago by making some astute trades and acquisitions and you know really hitting it big with edwin encarnacion and josh donaldson and jose bautista These weren't necessarily the most sought-after players. I mean, some of them were better than others before landing in Toronto, but, man, they really kind of won the lottery when it came to putting together a murderer's row in the middle of that Blue Jays lineup, and maybe these young kids can kind of step in and fill that role, and Vlad Guerrero could be in the middle of all that as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And speaking of Edwin Encarnacion, let's shift over to the AL Central, where he ends up signing a one-year deal with the White Sox, who also got lefty Dallas Keuchel. Three years, $55 million for him. You add in lefty Gio Gonzalez. You also throw in Yasmani Grandal. And the White Sox might be the most improved team in the AL Central. I'm not sure what that gets you, but they are probably a team on the rise.
0: Yeah, I think they are. And, and what that could get you, at least from where I'm sitting right now, before any games have been played, is it might get you the American League Central crown. I mean the twins are going to be tough I think the Indians are going to be tough even though they have lost Corey Kluber by trading him away to the Rangers they traded Trevor Bauer not long ago the big question I think for Cleveland is how long will Francisco Lindor be there but if he's there in 2020 they're still going to be a competitive club the twins are I think hands down the best team in the American League Central right now and they proved it last year by winning 101 games the White Sox were 17 games under 500 but they already had, I think, a nice core in place with some young players. I know Tim Anderson really you know, kind of came of age over the last year or two as well. And they brought back Jose Abreu, who's been there for quite some time. I like all of these moves. If there's anything that they needed to take that step toward the Indians and ultimately toward the Twins, it was pitching. And Dallas Keuchel knows the American League very well. That's where he spent most of his career before landing in Atlanta. And I like him being with some of those young pitchers, including Lucas Giolito, to help him take that next step, if you will, because I think that's a big thing that he brought to Atlanta. So I like these moves. Edwin Encarnacion, I always love adding a guy that can hit 35 or 40 home runs. That's going to help out the White Sox as well. They needed firepower, and they needed arms, and they've gotten a little bit of both, and they got a guy in Grandal who can handle that staff.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you 100%. I love what they've done here, adding to that solid core. You mentioned uh, Tim Anderson at shortstop. Moncada over at third. They have a very good left side of that infield. They needed pop, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And Grandal even can add a little bit of pop as well from the catcher position you mentioned in Carnacion. I give them a better chance of making a difference than Toronto, not because I think that they're more talented than Toronto, but because again, it's the AL Central. Now, they finished 28 games back of the Twins in 2019, and I think Minnesota is not necessarily a 100 win team right. next year, but they're still going to be 90 to 95, and that's going to be tough to make up 20 plus games in the standings in one year without that big time turn. I mean, Keikel's good, but he's not Garrett Cole. They're, they're certainly going to be more interesting in 2020 and a lot more respectable than they were in 2019. And I think that also may be 2021, 2022 as well, that they may be one of those teams that we look at as a contender. Again, I I look at it and say the same thing. Their goal should be getting, to 500 and above and and making a run there, not necessarily worried about, can we win 95 games in the division in 2020?
0: Yeah, but I do think, if anything, when you look at clubs that have a long period of time where they're not competitive and you wonder, when are they going to start taking that step? the White Sox are at least telling their fan base, hey, we're looking right now to start taking those steps. Not the, correct. hey, look at our farm system we're excited about. Oh, we got Yoan Moncada. Oh, we're excited about this guy, Eloy Jimenez, that they got in a trade from the Cubs. And Luis Robert, who we'll talk about in a moment, they've got some great players coming up through the farm, but you've got to supplement those with the right veterans to help you build that competitive ball club. And I do think all of these moves help out. And they even grabbed a guy like Nomar Mazara from the Rangers who to me has always been a potential guy in terms of maybe being a middle of the order bat, but hasn't really taken that step. Maybe going over to the South side of Chicago is going to be something that maybe energizes him playing with a team that I think is going to have a little bit more to play for than the Texas Rangers did a year ago.
1: Yeah, no, no question. And I think the veterans are definitely going to help and they can help bring along these young guys. And, and so when they finally age out or they move on and these young guys have learned from them, I mean, Encarnacion may not be around when Chicago, uh, when the White Sox end up being a contender in the AL Central, if it's not in 2020. And even Keiko may be in the last year. It may take until 2022, but their lasting effect, as you mentioned, on guys like Giolito, on guys like Ronaldo Lopez, that may carry them on when you get to 2023, 24, 25. They may not be around, but their impact will still be felt.
0: Well, I'm telling you one guy that the White Sox hope will be around and are planning to be around as they not only have been adding through free agency but also locking up a guy that could end up maybe being the face of their franchise before too long, and that is Chicago making some news on Thursday by signing top prospect Luis Robert to an extension. Six years and $50 million, couple of option years tacked on top of that. This is a guy that has not played a game in the major leagues yet, but clearly the talent is there. The White Sox want to build around him. And similar to what they did with Eloy Jimenez this time a year ago, there's a lot of future building going on in the south side of Chicago at the present.
1: Yeah, I didn't think that the White Sox would be a main topic of conversation as we started off 2020, but they've certainly been the ones getting all the headlines here lately. I I like this move not only because it locks up a guy who, despite the fact, as you said, has not taken a single at-bat at the major league level, But you take the chance, you buy out the arbitration years, you tell a guy that we want you to be the face of the franchise. He's basically penciled in as their starter in center field beginning in 2020 and moving forward throughout his career as long as he's there. It takes him through, what, age 28, I think, because he's 22 coming into this season. Got a couple of options on the end of that. So they've got him in control until his age 30 season. It's a nice move for the White Sox. And with all the money that's been thrown around, and it took a while for you know Harper to get his contract after 2018, this year that money flowed pretty quick when you think about Cole and Strasburg and Rendon and all those guys getting paid. The White Sox, I think, may end up, if this works out, getting a pretty good deal. As you said, six years, $50 million. That's less than $10 mil a year for a starting center fielder, a guy who's got some power in uh, his bat as well that deal may look like an absolute steal coming up in three or four years
0: yeah i think that it could And in case you're wondering what kind of statistics it takes to land a deal like that without having a major league at bat and before you turn 22 years old this is not like we're talking about a known international free agent who's in his mid to late 20s and you can profile what he's going to be but last year luis robert if there were any questions about what kind of talent he has he answered him with a 30 30 season Tossed in 31 doubles, 11 triples, 100 runs scored, over 100 runs scored in 122 games. If there's one knock on the guy who hit basically 330 all year, is that he doesn't walk a lot. He strikes out some. That could tick up in the major leagues, but I think the talent, the abilities there. And if you're the White Sox and you have scouted and developed and grown this player the way that they have. I feel like it's a no-brainer to try to keep players like this in your system as long as possible so that you're not sitting there in year five or six of their major league career figuring out if you have to trade them away or not.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if the White Sox didn't learn uh, the lesson from watching what the Cubs did across town uh, with Chris Bryant and how that relationship has turned contentious because they kept him, you know, for two weeks they kept him out of the major leagues so that they could get one more year of control yeah. out of him, and now it's gone to you know an arbiter, and it, it, that's been a big deal on whether or not they can even trade Chris Bryant because teams have to wait to see what his control is going to be. The White Sox may have learned a lesson from that and just turned around and said, "Look, we're not going. This guy is starting in 2020, day one. We're not going to play games and keep him down for two or three weeks. In fact, we're going to go ahead and lock him up." Yeah, it tells the rest of their team that we're serious about moving forward and trying to win games. We're not here to play games. We're not here trying to save money and be cheap and and get an extra year of control. We're trying to win, and it starts in 2020.
0: Yeah, and I'm wondering, just depending on what the new CBA is going to be, if there's not going to be a long look taken at some of the things like the Chris Bryant situation that have made it, I think, very contentious across all of Major League Baseball from the owner's perspective and, of course, from the player's perspective in terms of how that service time has been manipulated The Cubs are not the only club to do that. Teams do it every single year, and I mean multiple teams, if not just about every team in Major League Baseball. If you give them that sample size of a year or two and start talking about their top prospect, decisions are made based on service time alone in some cases, and Bryant just happened to be one of those. He was just a very high-profile one of those. In fact, the Braves did it with Ronald Acuna Jr. in 2018, and of course he landed himself a big extension in 2019 after winning Rookie of the Year. So... Sometimes it works out that way. For Bryant, he did not choose to sign any team friendly extensions or anything close to that. He wants to go test free agency. And now we got to find out if he's got one year or two before he heads out and uh, perhaps, you know, cashes in on a big money contract and whether or not he's even wearing a Cubs uniform this next year is a great question that perhaps we'll answer before opening day.
1: There you go. All right, let's uh, talk about the Diamondbacks as we switch over to the NL. They continued adding people in free agency. Two-year deal with Cole Calhoun, former Angels right fielder, joins Madison Bumgarner as the latest piece for the Diamondbacks. Even without Paul Goldschmidt, Patrick Corbin, and then later on moving Zach Granke in 2019, they were very competitive. Can they take that final step forward this year and find themselves playing in the playoffs in October 2020?
0: The Diamondbacks are a really sneaky good team that won 85 games a year ago. And you mentioned the turnover of some of their star players that are no longer wearing their uniform. 21 games out of first place, though, as they finished second to the Dodgers in the NL West. And that, I think, is the great litmus test for the Diamondbacks, for the Rockies, coming up for the Padres, I think, before too long. And, of course, one the Giants have had to deal with for the better part of the last decade as well is who can get over the top of the Dodgers and win the National League West. Now, the past, what, six or seven years, nobody's been able to get over the top of the Dodgers, but clubs have been able to get into those wild card scenarios, and I think the Diamondbacks have taken a step toward that, and none of the other divisions look to me to be as, I don't want to say one-sided, but you have a clear favorite.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. As you mentioned, the Dodgers, they're going to probably, barring injuries or catastrophe, they're going to win 100 games again this yeah. year. I mean, that they're just built that way. So Arizona isn't chasing the Dodgers. Arizona, in my mind, is chasing whoever doesn't win the NL East between Atlanta and Washington, because yep. I think those two teams are clearly the class of that division. And then they're going to be competing with the Brewers and Cubs and Cardinals uh, for that last wild card spot as well. I think hey, it's maybe basically five teams. Yeah, it, maybe even the Reds, sure. I think there are five teams that are all five, six teams that are in that mix there that are going to be competing for it. Arizona, as you mentioned, just a a, a hair away from being there in 2019. To me, though, they've got an opportunity, and I like their pitching staff better than anybody else in the NL West outside of the Dodgers. And adding Bumgarner certainly helps out as well with Robbie Ray there. But they're different than the teams we've been talking about as could they be contenders. Arizona already won 85 games last year, and they're not young like the White Sox or like Toronto. When you look at at Marte is already 26, Robbie Ray's 28, Bumgarner 30, Calhoun 32. Their core group is not built to 2022, 23, 24 and beyond. To me, they're built now to try to get to October, hopefully catch lightning in a bottle. Maybe you go a couple rounds and then they can kind of regroup and maybe add other free agents when they feel like they've got an opportunity to win. But this isn't, To me, this isn't a three- to five-year window with the guys that they've added. This is one- to two-year window for all the moves that they've made. I think they will be in the mix. It's going to depend a lot to me on how healthy guys end up staying for all the teams, not just Arizona, but everybody that's in that mix. But they're definitely one of the teams that should be right there when it's all said and done, winning 85 to 90 games.
0: And I want to throw out a name, too, that in the midst of all that, we talked about veteran players and guys that aren't there anymore for the Diamondbacks who – had a top five finisher in the National League MVP last year in Cattell Marte in his age 25 season. So he kind of came into his own, but kind of a question that might be a little bit off the beaten path and not so much pointed at Marte, but just something I kind of wonder in general is what kind of baseball is going to be used in 2020 because the scrutiny or at least the discussion of the baseball in 2019 was a topic that never went away. I was at the winter meetings and listened to people that have more degrees and PhDs than I'll ever have trying to explain the aerodynamics of the baseball and the physics of what was different between 2019 and any other year before it. So if there's some kind of change that's made there, then I start to wonder, is Cattell Marte a 30-something homer hitter anymore? And he's not the only one that I start to wonder that about as well.
1: No, there are a lot of guys that if the baseball changes and goes back to what they used in the past or whatever the PhD yeah. guys try to explain to us, I, I think it doesn't necessarily mean that Marte isn't as good a player or any of these guys not necessarily as good because all the numbers are going to come down. Sure. Everybody's number is going to come down. So he's still going to be a star. It just won't be the eye-popping numbers that we're used to seeing from other guys. But you're right, it will be interesting to see all of a sudden, these guys with the launch angle and everything else and all the things that people have looked at, you know, on video and the upticks and everything else, all of a sudden those three hundred and fifty home runs, you know, three hundred and fifty-foot home runs down the line turn into three hundred and thirty-foot outs. How much does that change how you start playing the game? And how much does it help the teams that have invested heavily yeah. in pitching? to be even more competitive. That to me is, is a big thing. It's not necessarily that the offense ticks down because everybody's home runs will go down and slug and everything else it's those teams that invested in pitching maybe that much further ahead than everybody else.
0: Right, and and that's one of those things that we'll have to monitor, and we won't know until we start seeing games be played and what kind of numbers are put up, but just something to keep in mind and not picking on Cattell Marte at all because it would be a league-wide thing, and it doesn't mean he'll go from being a three twenty nine hitter back to being a two sixty hitter overnight or anything like that. I just thought it was worth wondering about, especially considering in Arizona, they've been trying to figure out how to... I guess normalized the baseball the last couple of years as well so just something interesting when I think about the Diamondbacks that always seems to spring to mind Uh, Bill we can't go a week without debating the landing spot for free agent third baseman Josh Donaldson Uh, he spent 2019 with Atlanta he was healthy he was productive and he's reportedly mulling multi-year offers from several clubs the Braves the Nationals the Twins Uh, other clubs have checked in on him as well and Donaldson is the last major third baseman out there and maybe the last best free agent hitter that's out there as well. So there has to be some pressure right now as we're in 2020 for a clubs to get this done. I think this is going to happen soon, and the fourth year is the linchpin of this entire thing for Donaldson.
1: Yeah, the, the interesting news to me over the past, uh, out of 24, 48 hours, yeah. I think has been that we've heard that Atlanta is now willing to go four years because you, you would know this better than I, being there but I was always under the impression that Atlanta was kind of dead set on that on the three-year deal and weren't willing to go four. But now the reports that I've seen, and again, correct me if this is wrong, but Atlanta has offered a fourth year. Is that right?
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, reports that have come out this week. And I do think that that was always going to be the one big question the Braves were going to have to answer. If it goes to four years, do we go to four years?
1: Yeah, and apparently it has uh, for Atlanta, which I think is a good sign for them keeping him. Because here's the thing for me, why Atlanta may go for that fourth year. They understand that their biggest rival in the, in the, in the division in Washington is interested in Donaldson. Yeah. Washington has offered the reports from here, say, four years, right around $100 million, maybe a little bit over $100 million. So if you're Atlanta and you look at it and you say, OK, we can go four years, probably match that money. It's not going to hurt what we're trying to do. Why wouldn't you keep him away from a division rival for two reasons? One, you still keep a guy who is very good on your team. The other reason is the only other third base options out there for Washington that would be the equal to Donaldson would be a trade. You know Washington doesn't have the trade chips in their minor league system to make a move for a guy like Chris Bryant. So they'd have to probably – give up something from their major league roster. Maybe it's a guy like Victor Robles, maybe something else. Either way, it hurts Washington no matter what to have to move somebody from their major league roster or high minors. And again, I don't know who that would be that Chicago would be interested in because they, they don't have a particular great minor league system right now. So if you're Atlanta, why not keep Donaldson? Even though you have the trade chips to work with Colorado and Chicago, I think the Braves do, but why not keep Donaldson away from Washington and force them to hurt their team in other places if they're going to go and try to match? and trade with Chicago or trade with Colorado. I still think Atlanta is the front runner as long as they're willing to go the 4 years and all the money being close to equal, I still think he ends up a Brave.
0: And you bring up something great and and I agree with that. I do think that as you laid it out, those points really seem to, you know, pave a road back to Atlanta if Josh Donaldson wants to take it. I think that that door to use another cliché or uh, analogy is also open for Josh Donaldson quite clearly as he continues to talk with the Braves and they continue to make overtures towards him as well, but one of the things that I've looked at with Donaldson and the fourth year or however many years his contract is or however much per year it is, I would rather pay a Josh Donaldson what he's looking for and guarantee him a fourth year and then maintain my prospect capital as the Braves to use on other pursuits than to have to go out and not only pay the prospect price, but also a pretty hefty per year price on a Chris Bryant or a Nolan Arenado maybe they're only around for a couple of years because bryant can hit free agency and so can arenado because he could opt out if he even agrees to a trade and he has a big salary already guaranteed for the next couple of years i would rather take that money pay josh donaldson you know the first two years obviously or you know that's going to happen years three and four is paying so that you can maintain your prospects for other pursuits that could make the club better including perhaps a front of the rotation starter so I like the idea of paying Josh Donaldson because I think the money is actually worth more in this case for the Braves to spend up front so that they maintain the ability to make other moves. And oh, by the way, as you mentioned, keep Josh Donaldson from, say, signing with the Washington Nationals who already lost Anthony Rendon.
1: Yeah, that to me makes the most sense for Atlanta in, in all of this. And Since we've been doing this show, or I've been doing it with you, you've been doing it long time but since I've been doing it with you that conversation has been the same every single time is it makes the most sense for him to stay in Atlanta for the Braves I mean obviously the, the Dodgers or the Rangers or anybody mm-hmm. else we're looking at, at bringing him in the twins now the Nationals but for the Braves not only to protect their division title but as you mentioned also to protect prospects that they have it makes the most sense to go ahead go the four years, go $100 million. Because again, on the back end of it, if he starts to fade out and you know, age 37, 38, whatever it'll be, it's okay because you are able to protect your assets in the long run. Yeah. That to me is more important in 2022, 2023 than necessarily having uh, Josh Donaldson hitting 280 and, and 40 home runs.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the first couple of years, especially based on the health that he showed in 2019, which, oh, by the way, included having the same training staff he had in Toronto, which helped, I think, keep him on the field. That has to be another level to make him a little bit more comfortable. Obviously, the chance to win with the Braves, you know, is going to be there. Not that it isn't with the Twins or the Nationals or, you know, a couple of the other clubs, including perhaps the Dodgers, that would be interested in him as well. There's just a lot of things that when I look at, it adds up. If you can get the years and the money is anywhere close, that the Braves would be the team that should come away with Josh Donaldson batting cleanup for them on opening day.
1: Yeah, he's going to get paid either way. I yep. mean, I think a lot of people were surprised that it went to three, then four years. I mean, everybody thought maybe it'd be another one-year deal for him when he went to the Braves prior to 2019. They the, Everybody looked at it and said, this is a guy who's going to play out his career on one-year deal, one-year deal. But he proved it and definitely has earned getting that three- to four-year deal, $100 yep. million, dollars from his performance in 2019. You are correct. Uh, 2020 started off a bit of a sad news from Major League Baseball. Don Larson passed away on New Year's Day, Uh, 90 years old, so a heck of a run for him. Of course, you'll remember him for his perfect game in the 1956 World Series, all-time great moment in the history of Major League Baseball, and one of the best examples, Grant, of an unsung or unexpected hero coming up huge in October.
0: It really was, and if you like the history of the game, which I know I do, and I I don't want to turn the whole podcast sometimes into a look at the past, say when we start talking about the Hall of Fame and – Uh, you know things like that but for don larson who is not in the hall of fame because the career numbers didn't point to that he had a moment that no other player in baseball has had and that's throwing a perfect game in the world series he did it in 1956 he won the mvp for it he won a couple of world series with the yankees but as you go back and look if you just didn't know a lot about don larson other than hey he threw a perfect game in the world series you would maybe assume certain things about Oh well, he pitched for the Yankees in the nineteen fifties, so he probably won fifteen or twenty games a year through his perfect game in the World Series, won a couple of rings. That's gotta be great. Don Larson won eleven games and ten games in nineteen fifty-six and nineteen fifty-seven, and those were the best win totals of his career. He was a little bit of a swing man, if you will. He'd start about half of his appearances and he'd relieve for about half of his appearances, and he finished with a record well under five hundred. But I think this is what makes baseball so wonderful is when you do find those stories and those moments where that player that you never thought of comes through and does something completely unexpected and in the case of Don Larson, something completely and totally historic. So I think it's really fascinating and some of the cool things that you hear as people start to put out the stories of uh, guys after they pass away and some of the things that maybe they thought about their accomplishments and their career and somebody asked Don Larson if he ever got tired of talking about his perfect game and his response was, no, why should I? And I thought that was great because, you know, there may not be a whole lot of other stories in his career that people look at and ask him about, but he always had that one moment in time, that one moment in baseball history, and it was 100% something to be proud of for sure.
1: Yeah, it is amazing to to go back and look at that because a lot of people who may not know the, the story of that perfect game, other than that he threw the perfect game, they may not know that that series. He had gotten absolutely annihilated yeah. in his previous start in that series. He didn't get out of the second inning of his previous start in that World Series. And then to come back just a few days later and throw a perfect game against the same team that had roughed him up uh, just it makes it even more incredible for me. And you talk about you know his career and, and everything and looking at his numbers, 45 of his 81 career wins came in that stretch with the Yankees. I think it was two years prior he had been in Baltimore and went 3-21. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I I would, he's got to be the only guy, I mean, maybe I'd have to go back and look at this. I didn't look it up, but to me, he's got to be the only guy who's lost 20 games and then thrown a perfect game, right? I mean, that can't have happened another time in Major League Baseball, I wouldn't think. Well, I don't know that for sure, but that'd be my guess.
0: I would have to look at it. There's only been, what, 23 perfect games in Major League Baseball history. So if you do some simple math and start looking at what guys have done it, Obviously, any of the modern guys weren't going to have been around long enough to have lost 20 games in a season. Yeah, uh, Maybe some of the older guys, the Cy Youngs or uh, of that era, the early 1900s, somebody would have lost 20 games because, hey, they started 45 games, so it's really not that's a big fair. deal. But yep. either way, when you start talking about you know the guys that we think of, Roy Halladay's and King Felix and Randy Johnson and uh, some of those, nobody was losing 20 games and throwing a perfect game, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, so it was pretty impressive, and it, when you start looking at the at October un, Unsung Heroes, he, he's number one on any list because nobody, I don't care if a guy hit 500 in the series who you weren't expecting or anything like that, nobody comes close to doing what he did in that one game, especially when you, I, again, I, I just am fascinated that he got roughed up just days prior and couldn't even get out of the second inning, and then he, he throws a perfect game just days later.
0: All right, well, let's get back to the present day and try this thing out. We've done it with Nolan Arenado. We've done it with Chris Bryant in recent weeks. So let's spin our trade wheel this week, Bill, and ask, will the Red Sox trade Mookie Betts? He's got one year to go before free agency. He's going to be due around $30 million through arbitration his final year there. And to me, if there's a win now, all-in type of move for 2020, Betts may very well be that guy. What say you? Well, I've got some inside
1: information that probably most of your listeners don't know on Mookie Bets. Okay. My cousin was in Boston over the holidays. All of their merchandise with Mookie's name on it was on sale in the ah. team shop.
0: <laughs> well, there now, you go.
1: I, I I don't think that means anything, quite honestly. <laughs> But I, I, I did find it funny that he sent me a picture of all the Mookie Betts stuff that was on sale, the jerseys, the T-shirts, yeah. and everything else. Look, I don't know that, that the merchandise guys know what's going on with the Red Sox front office. I actually think Boston's trying to move David Price more than they're trying sure. to move Betts. Um, and I think if Boston's out of it in July – They won't get as much as they would now necessarily for bets, but I think they try to move him then if they just look at it. They're struggling, and they know that they're not going to be in contention, much like they were in 2019, quite honestly, that they'll try to move bets then. And I wouldn't be surprised if after 2020, if they do move him, they try to re-sign him. Yeah. The Red, Sox, the Red Sox suddenly haven't gone and decided that they're not going to spend money anymore. They're, they're not doing that. They've just put it on pause. They want to be underneath that luxury tax threshold, so they're trying to get a reset. The days of big money deals in Boston aren't over. It's They just need to get under it so they can reset their tax liability. That's also, to me, bets gets moved if it makes sense for them tax-wise and competitive-wise, but if they're in contention... In July, they're not going to move him just to move him. And I still say if he does go out of town, if it's done amicably, yeah, they'll try to get him back.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, an extreme possibility that you look at. And I don't know that a lot of players get traded away and then sign right back when it comes down to it. But either way, Mookie Betts is a guy that you look at that you think if there's going to be another $300 million player, he's the guy I'm looking at that's going to be the next guy that's going to cash in that kind of money because he's put up the, the career. He's young enough, certainly, to warrant that and I think he's a franchise changing player for any team that signs him including if the Red Sox were to trade him away and then bring him right back it's a big deal to get a Mookie Betts and I think he's going to be able to cash in big time on that so uh, you know there's not a huge amount of time in terms of whatever you're going to trade for Mookie Betts and making that decision on okay is it worth it for one year but there are some clubs I think that If they knew or felt that they know as much as you can that this could be the piece to put them over the top, then maybe they owe it to themselves to do it. And I don't think it's really you know a stretch whatsoever. And it's been talked about throughout the winter for a team like the Dodgers to maybe be a mookie bets away from putting themselves over the top and finally winning that World Series after getting there a couple of times and coming up short.
1: Yeah, and we've seen the Red Sox do this in the past. You think back to 2014, it was just a year after they won the World Series and they traded John Lester to Oakland in that deal. Right, And they actually, after 2014, had conversations, just didn't match uh, what the Cubs were willing to go for Lester at that point. But the precedent is there under the Red Sox. Now it's a different GM, different front office now in 2020 than it was in 2014 But the precedence is there for them to trade away a guy and then try to bring him back. But you're right. Somebody like the Dodgers, who uh, we've already mentioned, are going to win 100-some games this year. But Mookie Betts makes them, the Dodgers in this case, the absolute favorites. And then we're looking at Dodgers, Yankees, like we had in the late 70s all the time. And everybody else across the country will be angry. But the TV executives will be thrilled because that's what everybody wants. It's like Lakers-Celtics in the NBA They want Yankees, Dodgers, in the World Series for all those ratings numbers.
0: Yeah, I think that's always a consideration. I mean, obviously, we love the parity in Major League Baseball, and it's fun to see other clubs getting into that mix. But when it comes down to it, when the big clubs and the big markets are doing well, that means business is is going well. And I don't think that's lost on anybody in the commissioner's office or anywhere else in terms of uh, what exactly ratings and therefore eyeballs on your product can do for your bottom line.
1: All right, we've talked a lot about the AL Central. Let's continue the conversation here. The Twins adding to the rotation with a pair of veterans just before the new year. Minnesota, Homer Bailey, and Rich Hill, one-year deals totaling $10 million total, total, which is a great deal for the Twins. They needed some rotation reinforcements. It's not flashy, but for a 100-win team to add a couple of veteran pitchers on the cheap, pretty good deal
0: yeah I think if this pair is able to do anything close to what they've done in well for Bailey more so last year than the last couple of years because he had hit a a pretty tough uh, spot in his career after being a pretty solid pitcher for the Reds for a number of years but injury had really derailed him he kind of got back on track in 2019 he would be a guy look at and say all right we need somebody to come in kind of stabilize the rotation and just cover some innings for us 170 175 innings if they get that out of homer bailey get those 30 32 starts i think they're going to be really happy with that rich hill is such a fascinating player to me because of his age and the fact that he was uh, the dictionary definition i think of a late bloomer uh, with what he was able to do uh, kind of out of nowhere with his comeback uh, quite a few years ago and Uh, Of course, stretching into his time with LA where he just can't seem to stay healthy, had the elbow operation last year. They feel like he's still got some tread on the tire. If he is healthy, I think they could be right about that. But this also, I think, leaves them open to maybe addressing the rotation at some point during the season. But also, as we talked about earlier, I think it kind of all comes back to this. You make a couple of good signings like this where you don't spend a whole bunch of money. Maybe you've earmarked that other money to perhaps lure Josh Donaldson to be that piece that maybe puts the Twins back over the top or back in line to perhaps win the AL Central again because he's not going to be cheap. They're not getting Josh Donaldson for $10 million. Making these other couple of moves could be something that just helps the Twins in the overall picture to get that deal done.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you as far as the twins should be the division favorites. They're the class still the AL central. I don't know that they get to 100 wins again, but 90 to 95 is realistic. And, and quite honestly, 90 wins should probably win that division. There aren't any Dodgers or Yankees or Atlanta or anybody in that division. It's it's. It's a lot of teams that'll probably be struggling to get the 500 and then Kansas City right now in the AL Central, quite honestly. So yeah, smart move. As you mentioned, uh, years ago, Homer Bailey was a guy that would go out and get you 200 innings a season. That guy's not around anymore. 170 to 175 is a decent number for him. I actually think that'd be on the high side for him uh, coming up in 2020. But the nice thing is, he had spent his entire career in the National League until coming over this past season with Kansas City and then Oakland. So he's made that transition and it didn't go horribly for him. He yeah. didn't get lit up. The ERA wasn't you know five and a half to six because of having to face the DH and not a pitcher. So I think they're okay with him. As you mentioned, Rich Hill. Look, that money is just if he if he's on and he's the Rich Hill that we've seen. It cost him whatever it was five million, four million. And it's not a big deal. If he's not what they thought he was for a major league baseball team to eat $4 million in salary, that's not a big deal either.
0: No, not at all. And you look at Rich Hill, who's about to turn 40 just before the season gets started. And again, go back through what his career was. I mean, it really didn't look like he was going to have much of a chance at a career after his late twenties. He was a not great reliever uh, early last decade with the Cleveland Indians And then all of a sudden, just figured out a way to get things done. His curveball, I think, has been one of the best in baseball uh, over the last, what, five or six years that he's really uh, stepped back into the forefront. And I think this is one of those, as you mentioned, low-risk signings by the Minnesota Twins. It's a guy that racks up a lot of strikeouts, doesn't walk a lot of batters. But the only question is, are you going to be able to get those 25 or so starts out of Rich Hill, or is he going to end up on the injured list and you're going to have to figure out how to cover those innings elsewhere? Either way, for me, it's it's a gamble worth taking or a lottery ticket worth buying if you can get Rich Hill to be anything close to what he was in recent years with the Dodgers.
1: Yeah, And if he's healthy, he's a guy that you go into the playoffs with that can really, really do damage against some of these other teams. As you mentioned, with the curveball and everything else, he's a guy that will gut you out five, six, seven innings in a playoff game and can really twist up a, a lineup on the other side for not only his start, but perhaps a a game or two afterwards as well with guys just having their timing screwed up.
0: Yeah, he doesn't allow a lot of hits. He doesn't walk a lot of batters, and he strikes out about, what, 10 or 11 batters per nine innings. You add all that up, and yeah, there's some guys that are probably not having a fun night, whether Rich Hill covers the first five innings, and then you face, what, four or five relievers after that or not. He's been a guy that's been a different look, I think, for a staff, and that kind of veteran left-hander, I think, could be a big boon for the Minnesota Twins if healthy.
1: Yeah, no question. Again, they're they're the favorites, and all this move does is make them stronger. Uh, if he and Homer Bailey stay stay healthy with Barros at the top of that rotation, they're gonna win again, 90 to 95 games, I think.
0: And yeah, we'll see if that is enough for the Minnesota Twins to become American League Central champs for the second consecutive year. Meanwhile, as we wrap things up here, I don't think anyone's gonna crown the Marlins contenders anytime soon. But, Bill, I think they've had a quietly productive winter. They just added Corey Dickerson on a two-year deal last week. He joined some other new additions and Jonathan Villar and Jesus Aguilar as well. This is not the most flashy of all the winters had across Major League Baseball, but all three of those guys, from an offensive perspective, should make the Marlins at least a little bit better in 2020. And I think you just want to see signs of life or signs that they're moving forward if you're a Marlins fan. And, you know, God bless you if you are.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure there's too many. I'd love to hear from any of the Marlins fans. If we have any that listen to the to the podcast, I'd love to know that they're out there. But, yeah, this is a team that, what, won 57 games, I think, last year, whatever it was, 55, yeah. 57. So this isn't even like a Toronto thing or a White Sox thing where we're like, hey, the goal should be 500. The goal should be competitive night in and night out. And I, I think these guys will help bring a sense of professionalism to the Marlins, they've got a, a young core, especially on the pitching side, that needs some veteran presence in there. When you think about the Alcantara's 24, uh, Yamamoto's 23, Lopez is 23 for these guys. And this is the same team that traded away Zach Gallen, who's going to be 24 this year. Yep. I would have loved to have seen those four guys kind of grow together over the next three or four seasons just to see what they would become. Not all of them are going to hit, but if a couple of them did, Then the Marlins are are kind of a a fun team to watch at that point. You know, Aguilar is going to provide some pop over there at first. He was great with Milwaukee in 2018, kind of fell off last season a little bit. Uh, is going to be the same thing. He's coming back to the National League after spending last year uh, of the AL's version of the Marlins in Baltimore. So he's used to this kind of ball club. uh, So he can kind of guide these guys through it. And Corey Dickerson's going to probably hit 15 to 20 home runs. He's probably going to drive at about 65. He's probably going to hit about 280 because that's what Corey Dickerson does every single year since he's been out of Colorado. So any of these guys would be decent trade chips come July if a contending club needs somebody. But none of them, I don't think, are the future of this ball club. Um, but again, nice moves by, by Jeter and, and Maddenly and these guys to, to understand that they needed to get some professional – Ball players down there to help lead this team and to make them at least competitive night in and night out and not getting blasted, you know, 12 to two, three out of every four games in a series.
0: Yeah, I think they needed to take a little bit of a step forward at the very least in terms of just, like you said, bringing in players that are perhaps more of a known commodity. Villar certainly is that. Aguilar, if he bounces back, sure. And then Dickerson, I think, is the dictionary definition of you pretty much know what you're going to get out of him. And he's a pretty good defender as well. So, Uh, These are good ads, but I look at the Marlins, and and this is just kind of from a 30,000-foot view, and they're one of the great what-if franchises of the last couple of three decades almost now as they are, what, I believe 27 years into their franchise's history. They've won the World Series a couple of times, but you kind of have to wonder when you look at some of the names that went through Miami and didn't stay there, what could this club have been if they were able to maintain some kind of direction, and be a little bit more about continuity of their ball club than burning it down and and trading guys away and cashing in and this has happened recently on your star players just i guess hoping to get some prospects back and that hasn't necessarily netted them a lot i I mean i look at the trade for christian yelich certainly that didn't I, i would say milwaukee easily won that one the trade for stanton was more about the money then of course marcelo zuna got traded away and those are just three names that you could tack on with of course miguel cabrera and just wonder what this franchise would have looked like if they kept their homegrown stars around for longer periods of time.
1: Yeah, if they'd had an owner willing to spend the money, right? They might have had a pretty good run of more than just a couple World Series titles that they got. They, as you know, being down there in Atlanta, winning the division and getting in the playoffs doesn't guarantee you that you're going to make it or win the World Series. No, I mean Atlanta not. won the division 14 straight years. So, but they would have been an interesting team to watch continually try to get back and defend titles and just be in the mix year after year after year. The problem is, as you said, they burned it all down. And now I'm not sure they have the 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 front office in place to be able to build it back up again to just burn it down again, you know, in another five, six, seven years. I think they're going to struggle for a while. Again, if any of these pitchers hit, then they might be okay, but I'm just worried that these guys will hit and they'll be like, "Hey, now we can trade them for even more prospects." And it's going to be a never-ending cycle of they'll get to 75 to maybe you know 81 wins for 500 for a couple seasons, and then they're going to decide that these guys are getting too expensive or they're aging out, and then they're going to drop back down and win 55 to 60 games again for a few years and try to build it back up. It's going to be so tough in the NL East when you've got now a new. Ownership, we've talked about with the Mets. You've got the learners in Washington who can spend and will spend some money. You've got Atlanta with a lot of young talent and better young talent than the Marlins have right now. And Philadelphia is willing to spend money as well. The Marlins are just, again, they are the NL East equivalent of the Orioles over in the AL East where they just they have an owner that's not going to spend the money. And they just don't seem to have any direction as far as the front office goes.
0: Yeah. And those are the things, the questions that they're trying to answer down there in Miami. And it's not going to be easy to climb out of a place where you're coming off a decade that you did not have a winning season. So this is not the last two or three years have been frustrating. This has been going on for quite some time. The last time that the Marlins were over 500 was way back in 2009. The manager at that time was Freddy Gonzalez. So uh, he's already come and gone in Atlanta and the Marlins have continued to go through I think there was a string where it looked like they were paying what two or three if not four managers out of their contracts because of all the turnover just there and that's just one of the many stories under the Jeffrey Loria regime that kind of drove the Marlins into the ground despite getting a nice new ballpark and all the other things this just has not been the best run club across the board and they're just looking to take those steps and uh, regain some fan trust if you will and try to establish a brand that's known a little bit more for what happens on the field than all the things that have just not gone right behind the scenes. So uh, that wraps up our starting nine. We'll see what else is done uh, by the Marlins and by a number of other teams in the National League East, because that's kind of where our focus is. And of course, waiting on the answer to the question, where exactly is Josh Donaldson going to end up and when exactly is he going to make that decision? We'll find that out hopefully sooner than later. But Bill, I enjoyed chopping this all up with you again this week and look forward to doing it again soon.
1: Yeah, always a fun time, Grant. We appreciate it. Again, Happy New Year to you and your family and everybody listening. And, uh, again, six weeks or so away from this all getting started again. Can't
0: wait. And fortunately, we don't have too much time to wait. Once again, he is Bill Rowland. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Bill Rowland B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D, And I want to remind you, you can subscribe to the podcast as well. You can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. Really appreciate those. And make sure you're following along on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, the show is at FromTheDiamond. And I am still at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And over at FromTheDiamond.com, that's where you can find every episode of the show. And I'll have my Braves positional preview series rolling out. That'll get started next week and culminate to when Braves pitchers and catchers report to Northport, Florida on Wednesday, February the 12th. And that is under seven weeks away. So, really looking forward to that and looking forward to next week's show as well. So, thank you again for listening to this week's episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and we will catch you next time. So long, everyone.